you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. We're going to continue on in our series through the book of Joshua. And this morning we're going to be in Joshua 1, verses 10 through 18. Joshua 1, 10 through 18. Once upon a time, uh, there were a group of 12 guys who all decided to move in together. Uh, each of them had a considerable amount of furniture, so uh, they, they loaded up all of it into a huge moving truck. Well, when they got to the house, they started unloading uh, Bob and John and Jake's stuff first, since it was closest to the end of the truck. Things were going pretty well. With uh, 12 guys, they were able to get Bob and John and Jake's stuff into the house pretty quickly. Jake and John and Bob thought this was pretty awesome. Uh, they were done for the day. So they plopped down on their couches and beds. They had their stuff moved in. They could rest. Hopefully, you've never experienced anything like this fictitious story, but I want you to imagine for a moment if you were one of the other nine guys who still had your stuff in the truck. Your stuff isn't moved in yet, but Bob and John and Jake, who you just helped move in, they're settling in, potentially done, helping you. How would that make you feel? Is that the right thing for them to do? Well, in today's text, we're going to see something somewhat similar. Uh, and instead of starting with the reading of our text in Joshua, uh, I, I want to start with the reading of another text. Uh, Numbers chapter 32, verses 1 through 33. Um, warning, this is a long text. But if you'll stick with me, it'll shine light on what's actually happening in our text in Joshua chapter 1. Uh, so you don't have to flip there. We'll have Numbers 32 up on the screen for you. Um, but here we go. Numbers 32, 1 through 33. Now the people of Reuben and the people of Gad had a very great number of livestock. And they saw that the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead. And behold, the place was a, a place uh, the place was a place for livestock. So the people of Gad and the people of Reuben came and said to Moses and to Eleazar the priest and to the chiefs of the congregation, Ataroth, Dibon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, El Elilah, Sebom, Nabo, and Baon, the land that, is the, uh, that the Lord struck down before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock. And your servants have livestock. And they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants for a possession. Do not take us across the Jordan. But Moses said to the people of Gad and to the people of Reuben, Shall your brothers go to the war while you sit here? Why will you discourage the heart of the people of Israel from going over into the land that the Lord has given them? Your fathers did this when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up to the valley of Eskel and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the people of Israel from going into the land that the Lord had given them. And the Lord's anger was kindled on that day, and he swore, saying, 
Surely none of the men who came up out of Egypt from 20 years old and upward shall see the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. None except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. And the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness forty years, until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. And behold, you have risen in your father's place, a brood of sinful men, to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him, he will again abandon them in the wilderness, and you will destroy all this people. Then they came near to him and said, We will build sheepfolds here for our livestock, and cities for our little ones. But we will take up arms ready to go before the people of Israel, until we have brought them to their place. And our little ones shall live in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until each of the people of Israel has gained his inheritance. For we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond, because our inheritance has come to us on this side of the Jordan to the east. So Moses said to them, If you will do this, if you will take up arms to go before the Lord for the war, and every armed man of you will pass over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him, and the land is subdued before the Lord, then after that you shall return and be free of obligation to the Lord and to Israel. And this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Build cities for your little ones and folds for your sheep and do what you have promised. And the people of Gad and the people of Reuben said to Moses, Your servants will do as my Lord commands. Our little ones, our wives, our livestock, and all our cattle shall remain there in the cities of Gilead. But your servants will pass over every man who is armed for war before the Lord to battle as my Lord orders. So, Moses gave command concerning them to Eleazar the priest and to Joshua the son of Nun and to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel. And Moses said to them, If the people of Gad and the people of Reuben, every man who is armed to battle before the Lord, will pass with you over the Jordan and the land, the land shall be subdued before you, then you shall give them the land of Gilead for a possession. However, if they will not pass over with you armed, they shall have possessions among you, in the land of Canaan. And the people of Gad and the people of Reuben answered, What the Lord has said to your servants, we will do. We will pass over, armed before the Lord, into the land of Canaan, and the possession of our inheritance shall remain with us beyond the Jordan. And Moses gave to them, to the people of Gad and the people of Reuben, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, the kingdom of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and the kingdom of Og of Bashan the land and its cities with their territories, the cities of the land throughout the country. Okay, huge text there. Um, and as we walk through Joshua 1, you'll, you'll see kind of where that comes into play. Uh, but before we do that, I, I want to kind of zoom out and, and understand what's happening here. Uh, last week, we learned that in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 and Genesis 17, God made promises to Abraham. Uh, part of that promise being that he would make Abraham a great people. 
Uh, Part of that promise being that he would give those people a land. And part of that promise being that he would be their God. This is really important. Uh, I mentioned very briefly last week, but uh, this is the best definition that I know of, uh, of what the kingdom of God actually is scripturally. God's people in God's place under God's rule. God's people in God's place under God's rule. Uh, That's what God promised Abraham in Genesis. And it all happened immediately, right? No, (laughs) not at all. Well, what happened? Uh, A lot happened. God makes this promise to Abraham, uh, and then there's a lot that happens before it starts being fulfilled. Uh, Very, very quick Old Testament history lesson here. Uh, We know that the story of Joseph, one of Abraham's descendants, landed the people of God in Egypt through through a number of things that happened. Uh, So they're in Egypt, and they eventually end up in Egypt under slavery, right? But God raises up Moses. Uh, He sent a destroyer to kill the firstborn of everyone in Egypt, except for those who were covered by the blood of the Lamb. Passover, right? So uh, the people of God are saved by the blood of the Lamb. They quickly take provisions, and they go out of Egypt, and they're chased. Uh, I've got a map for you up here to kind of understand what's going on. So they're all the way over here in Egypt. Uh, The Passover happens, and they come out, and this is where they, they cross the Red Sea. So they come out of Egypt, they're chased out of there, and they, they cross the Red Sea when God miraculously parts it and rescues them from the hands of their enemies. Then what happens? For 40 years, they kind of wander around out in the desert. Uh, they, then they finally come to the edge of the land that, that God's promised them. And we see... Um, two and eventually one half tribe ask for land before they go in, into the promised land. Uh, this next map kind of gives us an idea of what's going on there. So they've, they've come up here from the desert, come all the way up here. They're ready to cross the Jordan River, which, which goes into the promised land. And you've got Reuben and Gad and a half tribe of Manasseh that says, we're, we're kind of fine right here. We don't want to go in yet. Uh, This land looks really good for grazing, and we have a lot of livestock. So we would prefer just to to take this land. We've we've defeated the king of Og and the the king of the Amorites. So they defeat these two Amorite kings, and they don't want to go over the Jordan River. They just want to graze their livestock outside of the promised land. Well, in the passage we just read in Numbers 32, Moses actually allows for it. But he makes them promise that they'll cross the Jordan and fight with the rest of the 12 tribes when it comes time. Then Moses dies. Okay, got all of that? Now, imagine how you'd be feeling if you were one of the other nine tribes or Joshua, Moses' successor at that point. These bums already have their land safe and sound on this side of the Jordan River. Are they going to help us? We've, we've heard rumors about 
how, how scary and dangerous people are on the other side of that river. And we'd prefer not to go in shorthanded. At the same time, Joshua is probably sitting there thinking, okay, well, they made these promises to Moses, but Moses is dead. I'm not Moses. Are they going to listen to me? Will they follow me? Will they make good on their promise from Numbers 32? That's right where we are in today's text. Longest intro ever, right? Don't worry, the rest of the points are not going to be as long as the intro. But here we are in our text, Joshua 1, 10 through 18. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, there are those three tribes, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them. Until the Lord gives rest to your brothers, as he has said to you, or as he has to you, and they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession, and you shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua. Moment of truth, right? Are they, are they going to do it? Verse 16, and they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. All right. Uh, our three main points to, to view this text are, are these. Number one, unity amongst God's people. Two, the authority of God's word. And three, rest. So number one, unity among God's people. Uh, while this is going to be a constant theme throughout the book of Joshua, uh, right here in chapter one, this is where it all begins. Uh, Joshua is deeply concerned uh, not just with his leadership and, and if they'll follow him, but more importantly, he's concerned with unity. Uh, again, uh, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the other tribes. Can you imagine the, the discouragement they may have felt if Reuben and Gad and half Manasseh didn't go with them into the promised land? Joshua knew that indifference on these three tribes' part would have discouraged the western tribes and led to rebellion and unbelief. Now, why is that important? Let's face it. God doesn't need those two and a half tribes to conquer the land. He doesn't at all. He doesn't need any of the tribes to conquer the land. He makes that abundantly clear throughout the book. But God 
doesn't always act the way we think he should, right? The way we, or at least I, think that God should act is for him just to take the land by himself, right? That'd be a lot easier. Instead, he calls and commissions Joshua, who in this passage calls and commissions the people of God as a unity. And I want us to see that there's something significant about this. God doesn't want anyone to miss the blessing that he's promised here. Joshua, as God's servant, is making sure that everyone's involved in the work of the kingdom of God. There's no one left on the bench. They're all, as a unity, called to get in the game together. Now, remember what I said last week. This, the book of Joshua, is history. But it's history that's meant to preach something to us right here at Santa Cruz Baptist Church this morning. So the question is, how? How does it do that? Well, you can see the implications here for the doctrine and practice of the church. Joshua knew that unity among God's people was no idle luxury here. And it's no different today in the church. That's what Paul's getting at in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, Paul says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And here we go. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Every part of the body of Christ matters. Just as much as every tribe mattered in the taking of the land, every member of the body matters for the growth of the church. We don't get to kind of claim our land, so to speak, in having Jesus as our Savior, and not invest in the rest of the body of Christ. That'd be like letting everyone unload your furniture and then sitting down to rest. Not only would that be selfish, but you'd be missing out on the blessing God has for you amidst being unified with his people. Even more, I may miss the blessing, but I also may be the instrument that causes someone else to miss the blessing. That's the principle here in Joshua. Each and every one of us as Christians and members of Christ's body have been immeasurably gifted, both in grace and in spiritual gifts. But your spiritual gifts are not yours. They're given to you to build up the body in unity and in maturity. What God seems to be saying to the church through this text in Joshua is this. 
He wants the commitment of every single person in the progress of the kingdom. That's why the author of Hebrews says what he says in Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. When you neglect meeting together with the body, it's not you who's missing out. It's the body. Unity among God's people is a big, big deal. What do we see Jesus himself praying for in John 17? John 17, 20 through 23. Jesus is praying and he says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. So Jesus is praying for us in this text. What's he praying? Verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one. There it is again even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. This is the kingdom. God's people, all of them together in God's place under God's rule. So what about you this morning? Is there somewhere you need to be reconciled to another brother or sister in Christ? Anywhere that that you've let disunity just kind of sit while you're okay with it? Go today and reconcile. Unity is a big deal in God's kingdom. Is there anywhere that you're sitting on the sideline or on the other side of the Jordan River maybe? when God's called you to be unified with God's people in taking the land. Seriously, pray about that. Get in the game. Unity is a big deal in God's kingdom. In our text, thankfully, the, the two and a half tribes joyfully unified with the rest of the people of God. But... How is it that Joshua led them in that? Point two, the authority of God's word. Uh, The structure of the book of Joshua and uh, the structure of Joshua 1, even within that, is pretty amazing. Uh, As I shared last week, uh, many events in the book of Joshua are are kind of repeating themes from Exodus. uh, When God took them out of Egypt, Uh, in in our text, they prepare provisions quickly. They're about to cross a body of water miraculously. They're going to have all of the males circumcised, and they're going to celebrate Passover again. Within that that overall structure, here in Joshua 1, we see kind of a smaller repetition. In other words, that there's a clear pattern here. So after the death of Moses in verse 1, we have God's charge to Joshua, right? We saw that last week. God comes in and speaks to Joshua, charges and commissions him. Well, here down in verse 10, we have Joshua's charge to Israel. And here's kind of how this breaks down. 
Verses 1 through 4, God commands Joshua to action. Verse 2, he says, go over into the land I'm giving you. Verses 10 through 15, Joshua then commands the people to prepare for action. Verse 11, he says, pass over. Same Hebrew word from verse 2. Pass over into the land that God's giving you. So God speaks to Joshua in verses 1 through 9. And Joshua's turning around and giving the same speech to the officers of the people. Then he uses the same language to the two and a half tribes in verses 12 through 15. Verses 14 and 15. Here it is again. You shall pass over. Same same word as verse 11 and verse 2. Take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. In verses 5 through 9, God gives encouragement to Joshua. Remember last week, I will be with you. Be strong and courageous. Here in our text, in verses 16 through 18, it's the people speaking the same encouragement back to Joshua. Verse 17, God be with you. I was reminded uh, really vividly, even Friday, how amazing that truth is. Up in in verses 1 through 9, God's saying, I'm with you. Like, no matter what comes, I'm with you. You're going to be okay. You're going to be safe. Uh, Friday, we're we're out at the beach. Some of you were were there. Um, I'm out surfing, and all of a sudden, I hear uh, out of the corner of my ear, hear crews yelling like, Dad, help, help, help. He he was surfing on the inside, and he's not really that, that comfortable with it yet. But he saw a big wave coming in, and so he kind of got, got scared and paddled over out it, uh, out the back of it. Well, another wave comes in, and he got scared and kept paddling out. And so he looks up and finds himself way out there, farther than he's ever been before. It just kind of, you know, freaked out and started screaming. Well, so I paddled over there to him, and I just said, Cruz, it's okay. Like, he's, he's screaming and crying. And I said, Cruz, it's okay. I'm with you. Like, you're going to be all right. And for him, uh, he's still scared because he doesn't understand. Like, I'm not going to let anything happen to him. And I'm not God. And I'm saying, Cruz, you're going to be all right. I'm with you. The same thing's being said to Joshua here in Joshua 1.9. Like, God's saying to him, I will be with you. Everything's going to be all right if I'm with you. Joshua is turning around, and the same thing is being communicated to God's people. And then they turn and they repeat it. God be with you. Verse 18, be strong and courageous. So what God says to Joshua in verses 1 through 9 gets repeated in verses 10 through 18. Do you see that? What's my point? Well, I want you to see here that that, that What I want you to see here is that Joshua's authority really to to call Israel as a unity into action didn't originate with himself. Joshua's authority did not originate with himself. Joshua's authority originated in the word of God. Joshua received from the Lord and passed it on to the people of Israel. Even in verse 13, when he's directly quoting Moses, These are words that Moses received from God in Deuteronomy. Again, this is a great history lesson, but this has so much import for us this very moment. 
God has called me as an elder or a pastor of this church. But like Joshua, my authority does not originate with me. It's firmly anchored in the word of God. My commission and my responsibility as a leader of God's people is to relentlessly and faithfully deliver God's word, whether that be calls for unity or calls into the mission of God. That's what we see here in today's text. Joshua called for unity among God's people, but it it wasn't unity around some affinity that they had. It was unity around God's word. Now, what was the promise attached to that unity and to obedience to God's word? Point three, rest. From the very beginning of the created order in Genesis 1 and 2, rest has been the goal. To be at rest and at peace with God. In the beginning, God made everything, and it was good. There was no struggle between God and man. There was peace, and there was rest. There was no sickness and no death. There was rest. Rest is celebrated by Israel in the Sabbath, commanded in Exodus 20 amidst the Ten Commandments. And it's associated with their redemption from Egypt. I want to read Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. It says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any part of your livestock or the sojourner who is with, within your gates, that your male servant and your, and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Language of rest also means a rest from war for them as the people of Israel. The the two and a half tribes had already settled on the other side of the Jordan, and they'd already experienced a slight taste of this. And look at what Joshua says in our text, verse 13. The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. So he's saying to these two and a half tribes, you are already experiencing rest in your current land on the other side of the Jordan. Then verses 14 and 15, he says, your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. It's really important to understand that that when the Bible uses the word rest, it's not talking about taking a nap, as great as those are. Understand this, to enjoy rest means to finally settle in peace and security, to be home at last. 
This was the people of God's hope to finally have rest. God's people in God's place under God's rule equals rest. That's what God has promised, and that's what Joshua is relaying to the people. For 40 years, they've had no rest whatsoever. They've wandered around in the desert without a place to call home. Here's what I want us to understand. As as glorious as that rest is going to be for the people of Israel in Canaan, it still was only a foretaste of what was to come. We read Hebrews 4 earlier in in its entirety. I'm going to go back and reread just a couple of verses. Hebrews 4, verses 1 through 3. It says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. On down verses 8 through 11, it says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So what's he saying? He's saying that that, that the land and rest in that land of Canaan were only a foretaste of what's to come. That rest in the land pointed to a true and eternal rest that we have and will have in Christ, in the kingdom of God. Ever since Genesis 3, because of our sin, mankind has been at enmity with God. We've lived in slavery to our sin. But what did God promise in Genesis 3.15? He promised that one day a seed of Eve, one of her offspring, would come and crush the head of Satan. He promised that one day God's enemy would be destroyed thus bringing an end to the cosmic war. Through that snake crusher that we would truly be at rest. That's what's promised. And that warrior redeemer wasn't Joshua. It was Jesus who came to this earth, lived a perfect life, went to the cross and died in the place of ruined sinners who fully deserved the wrath of God. He absorbed that wrath and took it to the grave. But we know that the grave couldn't hold him. He rose from the grave three days later, defeating sin and death, crushing the head of Satan, and offering eternal rest for those who repent and believe in him. I want you to hear the words of, of Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Hear this loud and clear. Jesus accomplished a better rest than Joshua ever could have imagined. Come, he will give you rest. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, Jesus can give you true and eternal rest. You no longer have to be at war with God. You can rest. You no longer have to live with with no hope of a future. You can rest. You no longer have to wander around in the spiritual desert without a home. You can rest. You can finally settle in true peace and security. You can be home. You can do this by turning from sin and trusting in Jesus as the only hope of salvation. And we invite you to do that today. If you're here on the other hand and you are a Christian, this is good news for you too. While you've already given your life to Christ and he's already accomplished that rest on your behalf, we don't always take hold of that rest. So often we strive and strive and strive to earn God's favor and his love when we already have it. Christian, rest in your righteous standing before God. Rest knowing that God loves you and that you're a child of the King. Rest in the truth that no matter what you face, God has a plan for your life, even amidst suffering. It's so easy just to to get on Facebook or, or watch the news and think, man, we're kind of hosed. Our world is headed nowhere good. What kind of a world will my kids live in? Christian, rest. Rest knowing that God is in control. Rest knowing that one day God will make right all the wrongs in this world. Rest knowing that God's plan of redemption will not fail. Each time we we gather together on the Lord's day, we're meant to be reminded of that rest that Christ accomplished for us when he rose from the grave. We cease from working one in seven days to meditate on and find joy in that truth, unified as the people of God. The Bible says that this is a day of rest and of gladness. It's a reminder It's a a pattern that God's given us that we have a rest that's yet to come. The rest of heaven. The rest of feasting with Jesus. The rest of no more sickness, no more pain, no more tears. The rest of joy and celebration. God's people in God's place under God's rule. Brothers and sisters, The Lord, your God, has provided you a place of rest and will give you the land. Let's pray.